Hello, and welcome to Humanities Centered, a podcast that explores research in the arts and humanities at Carleton College. I'm Clara Hardy, the director of Carleton's Humanities Center. In this episode, we're continuing our series on projects that emerged from a Mellon Foundation grant called Public Works, Arts and Humanities, Connecting Communities. Joining me today is Andrea Mazzariello, an assistant professor of music who teaches composition and music technology. The grant supported his ongoing work with young Northfield musicians at the Key Youth Center, a youth center run by the Northfield Union of Youth. Andrea Mazzariello, welcome to the show. It's lovely to talk to you. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start by just asking you a little bit about your research, broadly speaking, and the way in which this particular project that was supported by Public Works fits into that. Of course. Thanks, Clara. I'm happy to be here. Clara Hardy. I'm a composer and a writer, and my work is in lots of traditions all at the same time, or maybe it's in no traditions ever. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons why these opportunities have meant so much to me. But we'll get to that after I kind of situate what it is that I do in the context of public works, public humanities, and sort of outward, more outwardly facing civic work. So I'm a composer that works in notated traditions, but I also do a lot of rote learning kind of traditions, and that's a fantastic way of saying playing in rock bands and playing jazz and doing things that I've I've done for a really, really long time that feel outside of what academic music has generally been. Although nowadays, academic music, so to speak, has, has really welcomed a lot of these outside traditions with more and more open arms as time goes on. So I'm really interested in music that foregrounds text, in music that thinks a lot about what your body knows versus what maybe your brain knows or what notation tells you you ought to know. My work in the community has centered around the Northfield Union of Youth, also known as the Key. And lo and behold, kids there are really interested in using their bodies to make music. And they're really interested in the way that text intersects with sound. Um, I say it that way as a code switch so that it flies on this podcast. But we're talking about kids that are doing freestyle, you know, kids that are making beats. And I feel like the work that I've done joining text and sound has really aligned really well with the, the kinds of things that the youth that I've met have been interested in. And I also feel like my kind of suspicions about academic music are shared by the the folks that I work with and have maybe even been reinforced by them in ways that I think are really productive and really forward-looking. So can you say a little bit more about that? That's really interesting, um, the way in which what you're seeing working with the, the students at The Key feeds into your broader kind of philosophy or or your interests in, in that maybe intersection between more popular and more academic music? Sure, I'd love to. I think that what I see most in the youth I work with at The Key is a kind of urgency around doing creative work. There's a sense that if an adult walks into the room and says the thing in your head that you're hearing that you're saying has value, by extension, you have value. And if you believe that for a kid at The Key, then you believe that for someone like me who is sitting in a a professor's chair and teaching classes, but whose values maybe don't always align with the traditional canonical work of composers. So I'm really excited to be bringing different sensibilities into those rooms too. It aligns really well with what my Carleton students want to do as well. And there's a kind of vulnerability in that in terms of being a faculty member that's enabling work in worlds that weren't always thought to be valid for exploration. I mean, having a job like this feels to me like some kind of weird loophole anyway, that I could be making music and doing all these things and and receiving institutional support not only from public works and from Pericles, but just from 
Carlton in general. I mean, it's sort of sound, it feels like I robbed a bank or something half the time. So it's really, really exciting that that this kind of work can be thought of as as having legitimate value in the scholarly community in a scholarly conversation. And I think when we consider public scholarship and we consider community activism and community engaged work, there's a real sort of tradition in in scholarship that thinks through the same sorts of problems. And I'm excited to be in some weird the middle of some strange Venn diagram where all these things seemingly fly. (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful when that kind of thing falls into place and you're able to both do work that you're very, very interested in intellectually anyway, but that is also maybe tying into a larger moment in, in the community and in your scholarly field, too. So could you tell us a little bit about the specific project that you did um, supported by Public Works? Sure. Yeah. So I had been working at the key for some time when I approached Public Works. I knew that I needed some time to reflect on the work I'd been doing and specifically how to bring that work into, I guess I would call it a kind of scholarly conversation or a, sometimes I, when I'm at the key, I talk about Carlton as the place up the hill. So I sometimes say like, well, uh, well let's figure out how we can move this work up the hill so that, that that it could be visible to my home institution. And so Public Works gave me the opportunity to think about how to incorporate the work I'd been doing at the key person to person, me to youth, in a classroom setting. And the first time I did that was in a composition studio. And since then, it's grown into lots of things. It's grown into its own course. So there's a course that is specifically dedicated to working with youth at the key, the first iteration of which happened during a global pandemic that you may have heard about. So it happened on Zoom. And I'm really looking forward to doing that one in body that'll come up uh, next spring. And I'm hoping hoping that I'll do it every year forever. But Public Works and that support really launched um, and catalyzed ways to think about this work that made sense here up on the hill. And that has inspired me to to really continue being at the key all the time. I go every week now and I'll just go every week, hopefully forever. I mean, I say every week, but then I'm like, oh, I have to go to Florida with my children <laughs> Something. So I'm trying to go many Fridays and rather than feel like volunteerism or things I do on the side, feels like my job. And I think Public Works allowed that to happen. So I'm just really, really grateful for having had that support. It turned into a grant from Project Pericles. It turns into a course that's on the catalog. I mean, it's been really a kind of a monumental opening of doors for me. That's great. There was so much in what you just said that I want to um, follow up on, but kind of two pieces of it, and you can take it in whatever order you want that I'd like to hear more about, would be A, the scholarly, the disciplinary kind of direction and where you felt there were productive tie-ins to mm. the work that you wanted mm-hmm. to be doing at the key. And then the the second thing is just a little bit more about what you said earlier concerning use of the body in sure. in music making. I'm I'm really fascinated by both of those things. Yeah, of course. Well, to go in order, the thing that I've always thought separated what we'll call Western art music, classical music, new music, etc., from other kinds of traditions that are more centered around the body, particularly hands, feet, and ears, and voices, is notation. So I think a lot about the way that my work has privileged notation and the way even I've thought of myself as doing upstairs work at my desk where I write on staff paper and downstairs work in the basement where I play the drums and the keyboards and sing. And this kind of project has brought the basement and the upstairs together. So maybe now I'm in a sprawling, you know, ranch style home where anything (laughs) goes. The ways that notation is changing 
are really, really interesting to me. The ways that we ask non-musicians to participate in what we'll call art music are really interesting to me. But there's still this way that the composer's imagination as manifested on a piece of paper reigns supreme. And I'm most interested in thinking through why I should have that kind of authority. And so now even when I'm writing a piece of music that is dots on paper, you know, dots on staff lines, I'm always thinking a little bit about what, what sort of what validates what I'm asking for. The motivations for asking those questions have really been reinforced by, by my work in the community where I don't feel that the youth I work with at the key need to be validated by figuring out notation. I don't need to teach them how to read music. I mean, I could if they were interested in it, and some do, but I'm much more interested in the kind of immediacy of what a kid most wants to do, what they're listening to, how to emulate that. It's weird to sit down and and start to talk about music theory or talk about notation, even though I do. I go to those concepts so quickly because they're they're sort of so tangible to me and palpable in my own work. but so I think the disciplinary overlay is is around this question of notation for me and sort of thinking through both how to make it more meaningful for people that have a complicated relationship to it and also wondering about what it even is and what it's good for. My colleague Justin London has a, a great way to think about this. He says that notation is a cognitive extension, and I'm completely on board with that purpose of notation for a composer to imagine things that were not imaginable before to use the tip of a pen or I guess like your fingers on a keyboard now as a creative interface. I think that's really, really valuable. And I'd love to demonstrate that for anyone that I'm working with. But there's lots of other cognitive extensions we could talk about that don't involve five lines and some dots. You know, uh-huh. I think we hold a lot of knowledge in our bodies. I think we hold a lot of, well, so I personally, and I'll speak from experience, hold a lot of different musical traditions in my body. I don't necessarily think in the same ways I would think about other forms of knowledge when I'm playing music. There's a kind of visceral connection to an instrument that I think is really, really valuable. Most of the pieces that I've written that I like came out of happy accidents, dropping hands on a keyboard or asking, can I actually do this and that at the same time, etc. To get back to the notation idea, figuring out how to ask nicely on the page for these kinds of bodily realities has been uh, something that I've struggled with and been really interested in in my work for a long time. And when you work with somebody who's, you know, 16 uh, or 14 or whatever, and has been playing guitar forever, like I am right now, that knowledge is held in the fingers, you know, like that knowledge is there. And I can either tell that individual that language and notation validate what you're doing, or I can say locating what you know in your fingers is as valid a form of knowing as me being able to write it down on paper for you or talk about it in in a way that, that gets me a grant or something, you know? So, and and even further than that, I've worked with youth who have really never touched an instrument and who are really interested in, say, producing, making beats, um, making beats that they can freestyle over or rap over or whatever. I find it really interesting to turn them now to instruments that don't even exist in the classical tradition. Why is it better for a kid like that to play the keyboard or a guitar when what they really want to do is learn how an MPC works, which is a big pad controller that allows you to trigger samples? Why should their body not develop that knowledge based entirely on the music that they are most urgently inspired to create using tools that are there for making that music? So the ways that bodily knowledge manifest in that community are just so interesting to me. And uh, a lot of my work, you know, thinks about bodies in ways that are pretty unconventional and asks for a lot, like a lot of multitasking and playing two instruments at once or playing and singing or doing things that are just sort of like 
scrambling of, I think, the performer's traditional ways of coming to the page. And I see that work extending when I talk to 14-year-old kids who want to make beats. It's, it's not totally necessary that they get behind a keyboard or a drum set or a guitar or whatever. Although I, I do that too. There are times when the kinds of things that they most want to do would be maybe even hamstrung by going at a bodily understanding that, again, is based on what notation has told us we're supposed to be doing with our bodies. Yeah, the the notation thing is fascinating to me because, and correct me if I'm not, I mean, if this is way off base, but it seems like what notation for is replication, right? Sure. Notation allows a composer to notate something that is in his or her mind, and then somebody else in another time and place can replicate that. Right. And so there's a way in which maybe what's important to the youth at the key and, and other people is not that, right? That's right. that somebody else, some other place, some other time can do exactly what they're doing. Yeah, that's a great observation. And there are two ways I would I would address that. The first is that yeah, there's a certain kind of replication that's desired by notation. There's a certain kind of reliability and reproducibility. So I actually wrote those four notes. So you kind of have to play them because that's what I'm thinking at this moment. Well, you that the key know how to get things to be replicated, they record them. Yeah. Right? So the idea that we need some kind of way to faithfully replicate something, and the only way to get that result is through notation, is just like not technologically no longer true in, in any way. And in fact, it's a lot more reliable to record something. However, that gets at the question of how those notated um, traditions are interpreted, how the performance tradition intersects with the notation tradition. And that's where things get really, really interesting. But to go back to Justin's formulation, as a composer, I think the page is a really important place for me to think and work things out. Have you ever seen the movie Amadeus? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is not how I've ever experienced the composition of music. That, <laughs> well, that they're not you, Mozart, you, No, not in the least. Like you close <laughs> your eyes and you hear things happen in your brain and you just write them down. Notation uh-huh. is a way to essentially transcribe and imagined music. And I don't actually think that's how music works for a lot of people. It's certainly not how it works for yeah. me. Yeah, well, it's not It's not how writing works either. Right, you know? right. So I, again, um, in in my mind is the Homeric epics, which seem to have been produced like right on the edge of when it was possible to write them down in mm. a in a tradition of oral composition, which then was later notated and policed and guarded so it would be a fixed text. But that moment be- of between performance and then this replicatable thing that yes. we can do later yes. is yes. really, really interesting. I think the best music in my mind and that I, well, at least the, the, the music that I've written that I like the most is the music that is evidence of a practice of working out what it is that I wanted it to be. Not a thing that I only heard in my head and then I needed this paper to account for. Uh-huh. Um, there's a wonderful piece of writing by, is it, is it maybe Anne Lamott who says, uh, that she couldn't wait to get to the page in order to find out what she thought? Yeah. I love that idea. Exactly. And, and it seems like, um, notation works that way at its, at its best. What is it that I'm after and how do I work it through this, this way of accounting for what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe before we wind up, um, if there's any particular anecdote you have about your experience working with the youth or any ways forward that you're going to take that work that you did that was supported by Public Works, if you could maybe sure. talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Well, so the the Public, Public Works came at a really critical time because I just needed to think about what I was doing. 
And what I most needed to think about was how to bring work that I didn't see as having anything to do with my day job into this context. So it was enormously valuable, not only because I figured out that it could count on this side of the line, which is nice, but also kind of a, a, a mercenary way of thinking about it. Um, <laughs> it was also important because I was able to devote more time to it and more care to it. And I think it's some of the most important work that I do. So I'm really grateful that um, I can do it in my office. It's really, really nice. The anecdote that I'll offer is from the very, very beginning. I've told this story a lot, so apologies if people who are listening to this who know my work at Takia are like, oh, he's going to do this one again. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm over-inflating <laughs> the public knowledge of this right now. Um, I got into working there um, because I wanted to find a place to perform for the cool kids. And I, it was a completely selfish, self-serving move. I should go down to that youth center and play some music, and then maybe they'll stream it on whatever, <laughs> Twitch. <laughs> but what wound up happening was that I was asked to come a little early that day so the kids could check out how I set my gear up. And I said, well, why don't I come way early, like now, like weeks to go or months to go? And it changed my life to do that. I walked in and brought my stuff, and I was wearing my teacher hat. And I sort of worked on some electronic music principles with a couple of youth there and, and left and didn't think very much of what I had done. I felt kind of frustrated as a teacher, as I sometimes feel when classes don't go particularly well, you're not connecting with your students, et cetera. The then director, Scott Wapata, asked if we could have a phone call after I told him that I thought it went pretty badly. And I thought, ah, oh, he's not going to want me to come back because I taught badly or something. And he said, I don't think you understand what you're actually doing. You are here to sit with these kids and your presence convinces them that their ideas have value and that they could also do this work. I mean, you didn't see his exact words, but what I took from his comment was that the idea that I was going to be successful or not based on these sort of ped pedagogical measures was kind of bogus and that what was really happening was a very human exchange. And so this work has allowed me to deepen into a sense that exchange from human to human is really what matters. And I'm really grateful to have been supported in that work. It, again, it, it's changed my life to, to be there. It's changed the trajectory of my work and hopefully it's um, been of benefit to some other humans as well. That is wonderful. That's a, a great note to wrap up on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Clara. I appreciate it. There's a link to the Public Works Grant website with information on all the projects it supported on our podcast website, which you can find among the tabs on the left-hand side of www.carlton.edu backwards humanities. There you can also discover more about all the programs supported by Carleton's Humanities Center. This podcast is a production of the Carleton Humanities Center and is edited by me, Clara Hardy, with original music by Will Hardy. Thanks, as always, to Austin Mason, Director of Digital Humanities at Carleton, and the Humanities Center Advisory Board for helpful suggestions and support. You can subscribe to Humanities Centered wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.